Hey everyone and welcome to another episode of the Atom Podcast. I'm your host, Ollie Thompson, and this week I'm joined by Chris Petrescu, the CEO of CP Capital. How are you doing, Chris? Good, Ollie. How are you? All good, thank you. All good. Um, so we're now on the seventh episode of, of season one for the Atom Podcast, and we haven't yet really gone into too much detail on data. And so I thought, who better to bring in than Chris? Chris has spent um, years working on the buy side at the likes of Worldquant. He went to the largest hedge fund launch ever in Exodus Point. Um, and he now has his own business. So I thought, bring Chris on, speak to him in depth about his experience in data so far on the buy side, both from the um, client perspective and customer perspective with both the vendors and the funds. And now what he's doing with CP Capital and how he's trying to um, help uh, a huge gap in the market in truth. In, um, in in what he does. So briefly on CP Capital, from, from what I know, and Chris will definitely be able to do a better job, it has two main aspects of the business. The first aspect is working with the vendors themselves, um, helping them to pretty much market and be able to sell um, their products and their data to hedge funds um, because it's still a growing industry. Hedge funds have been reliant on data now for many years, but the last three to five years has been um, even larger. So he works with helping the vendors on that side, but at the same time, he also has a flip side of his business, which is working directly with the hedge funds himself, almost replicating and taking on the role that he's done at other hedge funds and advising them and helping them on building their data pipelines and so on. So um, welcome to the show, Chris. Thanks a lot for, for, for jumping on. Um, what I want to do is jump straight into um, the world of data, because for people within the hedge fund industry, it may seem like a, an easy thing to understand, but for other people listening, maybe not so. So can you just really explain the world of data to someone just starting out in terms of, you know, the sort of key components within the buy side? Sure. I mean, at the end of the day, there's vendors who have data to sell. So you can have the likes of Bloomberg, S&P, IHS Market, FactSet, those firms who have data to sell. So they have anything from company financials to estimates, data on insider transactions, data on M&A transactions and so forth. So you have these firms who sell data. Those are traditional data providers. You have firms who sell additional data. We can call it alternative data. And that's pretty much anything beyond a company's fundamentals and financials that you can use to predict something about a company. And we can get into that later. So there's firms who sell data and then there's firms who consume data or buy data. And hedge funds is you know the focus of this conversation, but um, tons of firms actually buy data. Uh, the reason that hedge funds buy data is to essentially use it to gain an edge in trading. The, the idea being the more you know about the companies that you're trading in or the markets that you're investing in, the more informed decisions you can make. You can make more informed decisions with theoretically more data, although more is not always better. But that's the general idea is that you use data to triangulate multiple ways a hypothesis and at the end of the day it comes down whether you're buying or selling or shorting a stock but that's the reason that hedge funds use data and um and firms sell data to hedge funds and other corporations it's mental because when the word data is is you know there's some very broad concepts in the world of hedge funds i think the word devops is very broad i think the word um quant is very broad in terms of people being called a quant but the the, the broadest term that i know in the world of hedge funds is data because i didn't realize how much it actually encompasses and so within you know a hedge fund once they acquire data from uh, bloomberg or something like that there are so there's so many different aspects of that fund that can utilize that data um, which I think brings us quite well onto the next point, which is your role within these funds when, when you actually stepped into them. Because 
your career before Wellquant was completely different, right? I know you had the interest in finance before, but you, do you want to quickly tell people what it was you were doing before you, you sort of became a data strat? Sure. Yeah. I barely touch on this anymore, but it was mainly corporate finance. So I worked at um, PepsiCo for a while and it was all about their internal data, making sure it tied out when we reported numbers to Wall Street. Um, and it was about, you know, making sure the reporting was up to date at a firm like iHeartRadio. It was more about forecasting the revenues, once again, utilizing internal data. So my understanding of systems and how to connect them and how to use data to tell a story, whether that was internal data or external data, was kind of how I was able to, a part of why I was able to pivot into the hedge fund industry. Nice. And then through a friend, I think, a close contact, entered into the uh, the hedge fund industry. Um, the funny story that you told me a while ago. So Chris was telling me about, um, he's always had an interest in finance. He um, now sort of, I don't know, eight years on from maybe when he started at Worldquant, he now has a company called CP Capital. And um, uh, maybe not on record here, it's going down and saying this, but Chris, when he used to go and uh, attend financial conferences and going to to these places when he was working outside of finance, had to um, fake a name in a company in order to go to these places. And your, your friend signed you up under the company CP Capital, right? Back like yeah, that, that's, that's essentially how the name of the firm was born. <laughs> when I was at PepsiCo, you know, fresh out of school, I would attend these conferences, the youngest at these events by far, a lot of them, you know, suit and tie. These were the days when you'd have 300 people at the event. Everybody gets a medium steak, a medium rare steak dinner and lunch <laughs> likely. And I would attend these conferences and um, under CP Capital and get to speak to CEOs and CFOs and start to understand how data wasn't really called alternative data at the time, but how data external factors was impacting their businesses. So that kept me in the mind between that and investing on the side. Um, I also got my MBA part-time along the way so that it was always global business, economics, macro policy type of ideas that kept my mind into uh, really wanting to be closer to the markets than I was on the corporate finance side. And um, the hedge fund data strategy role was really perfect for me. Yeah, man. I love that. Such an audacious story, but one that is nice to look back on now and, and talk about. So you mentioned it there, you, your role at Wellquant was data strat or data, um, and then you become the head of data strategy at Exodus. So what is a data strat? What is data strategy and, and why is it so important to buy such Sure. I, I think data strategy has definitely evolved over the last five, six, seven years I've been in the industry. When I came into the industry, it was really just about sourcing of the data. So find new data providers. How do you find new data providers? You use your network, you go to conferences, you read the news. You can even get when a data provider is sourced in a Wall Street Journal article, it might be in really small font alongside the, the chart of it. Those companies provide data. Maybe they've never sold it to a hedge fund before. So we would basically cold call these firms and convince them to sell data to us and essentially teach them how to sell data to us along the way and they could sell that to their competitors and that's essentially the side of my business that you touched upon earlier ollie was working with these vendors to teach them how to sell data better and it's not just the opening doors anyone can open a door to a hedge fund it's when that door is open how are you the most prepared and to get your highest chance of success so at WorldQuant, it started off much more around simply sourcing data and that evolved more into um, a strategic role around interfacing with portfolio management teams, really plugging the gaps 
whether it was using existing data we had already purchased or sourcing new data from a different market or from a different asset class or something that focused on a different sector. And that was um, the essence of WorldQuant. And moving on to, and that was a firm that was already consuming data. They had infrastructure. Data was already key to their decision-making process. They already had pipelines built between legal and finance and engineering, so on and so forth. So they had all this existing infrastructure and a role like mine was really just fuel to the fire at, at WorldQuant. And uh, pivoting over to Exodus Point, that was a much more greenfield role. They were essentially a startup when I joined them, a large $8 billion startup, but <laughs> they had no um, data to speak of. So tick data, fundamentals, estimates, um, trading calendars, event-based data. So it was about building a solid foundation and making sure that when the PMs joined, they had the data sets that they thought they needed at the time that they needed them. Of course, the price that they wanted them was the tricky part, but that was the role at Exodus Point was managing that whole onboarding process and um, interfacing with the technology teams along the way who were essentially building some things on the fly as we were bringing in the data. Well, whenever you see someone start a new firm um, <clears throat> or you know become a CEO, start their own thing, there's a tendency where they have experienced a variety of different aspects of their specific market. So it's very niche in the sense that, you know, they're working within the world of finance, hedge funds doing a certain role, but they've worked at different firms with different cultures, different size and just different stages of their journey. And I think that's exactly the same for yourself. You've gone to a firm like Wildquant who are pioneers, I'd say, in the world of data. David himself was on a, a panel discussion in, um, for the uh, for who was at HFM, I believe it was, um, with Thomas McHugh and, and Gary Collier talking about the world of data. And we, we know how um, advanced Wellcorn um, are in that regard. And so I think for you there, that was more about coming in, learning the business, and as well as sort of onboarding new data sets, it's more about managing um, the current um, providers and vendors that you're working with. Gaining that experience, going to a firm that had nothing and literally having to, they had no data assets at all, onboarding everything from scratch and also looking further forward, the more data people have, the more, and we can come on to this later, the more they're going to be open and willing to look at more alternative data sets, the term you used earlier. Whereas for Exodus, it seems like you wanted to get them to walk before they could run and maybe work with solid foundations rather than going into extreme data sets early on. So with all that experience and everything you picked up from there, why was CP Capital founded? Was, was it because you saw a huge gap? You, you found a sort of um, a niche where people just weren't being serviced on both the vendor and the hedge fund side? Yeah, I mean, that's really the, the essence of it. I think the vendor side with the, with the exponential growth of data is the exponential growth of firms who are selling data. So there is a long pipeline of vendors who need, who need help selling. And I've known that because I've spoken to thousands of them and I coached them through that process at the hedge fund, of course, on the behalf of the hedge fund. And then on the buy side, beyond the 50 to 100 firms and 100 is a large number that you see at these conferences. So once you get out of the two, you know, two Sigma, Citadel, WorldQuant, there's a much longer tail of firms who are just scratching the surface and they know that they need to get into this. They know they need to use data as a competitive asset, but they just don't know how and they don't know where to start. So some of them buy too much and never onboard it. Some of them buy the wrong stuff, partner with the wrong vendors, and then they get a sour taste in their mouth on the whole industry, which is, I think, you know, the biggest shame is when 
you have a negative experience with one vendor and then you think that the rest of the world operates that way. So um, between those two sides of my expertise, I found pretty quickly um, that there is a large market here to prove this concept. And my competitive advantage that I always bring to the table is I'm coming at this always with the, with the decision-making framework of a buyer and the experience of a buyer. So firms who I coach on how to sell data, it's not really um, what looks the best necessarily in a general sales handbook. It's this is how data buyers at hedge funds, very specialized, like to see things presented. If you can't check these boxes, and I have had clients where we where we do that as well, we go through an initial process, and at the end of the day, we decide that it's not worth their time to target hedge funds. And those are successful projects because it saves them headaches down the line, and it saves the hedge funds headaches down the line. And um, and on the flip side, on the on the buy side, especially these smaller and emerging managers that I've been working more recently with over the last six months, they might have a couple of you know high quality traders, high quality researchers, high quality you know a few people on the technology team, but nobody managing that entire outsourced data strategist process. So from sourcing to negotiating, um, negotiating the right price for the contract, making sure we have actually the rights to use what we're buying, and prioritizing all of this, I think is a big deal as well. So it's very easy to get overwhelmed as a new firm entering this industry, you go to a conference and there's a hundred vendors in the room and you know that it will take you years to get through these. Well, maybe you want to get through six or seven in the next quarter. How do you pick those? Which one comes first? Which ones do you not waste your time with? That's a lot of the expertise I bring to the table as well is not only which data sets and firms are the best, but the ones to completely avoid because that saves, forget about the money, it saves time to deploy to, to other resources. And that's something, going back to my world quant days that was instilled upon me um, by David was to um, essentially fail quickly. So the idea of having um, a wide funnel at the top, so never really miss anything, but the farther you go down that funnel, the resources get way more expensive in terms of cost and time. Forget about the compute and storage and everything. But the idea is when you cast a wide net, but filter out that noise very quickly. And that's something that I can help shortcut for a lot of these new and emerging managers, as uh, well as I'm, existing I'm, managers. I'm probably not going to be the first, or I won't be the first one to say this, but it's such an it's such a relatable business model. It makes so much sense. So for the vendors, you're coming in and saying, I've sat in the likes of Wellcom. You guys have sold to me for years. I know exactly what I do want to see and what I don't want to see. So now I'm not working at those companies. I can tell you exactly what these people want. And you're sitting there, like you say, as the customer saying, I know what I would have bought and, and how I would have wanted to see it portrayed and advertised to me when I'm, when I'm going to buy these products. So let me tell you how to do that. Then you go to the hedge funds and you say, hey, listen, I'm on the side of recruitment here at GQR. So I know how expensive someone like a Chris Petrescu could be for a hedge fund, right? But at the same time, that hedge fund pays me a lot of money to find you. They pay you a lot of money to do your job. And they also have to wait six months to a year for you to join the company because of non-competes. Whereas they almost could say, well, let's just create a sort of almost like an outsourced strategy team in CP Capital. And rather than hiring someone from another fund and waiting for them to join everything like that, they take your expertise and, and you give them a full service, but you're able to um, sort of help them get off the ground, I guess. Um, so 
it makes so much sense and it's it's so awesome because i can understand how both sides would definitely um need you i don't know how you manage your time because it sounds like even half of that business aspect would be um time consuming and so i think you're probably turning away as much business as you're accepting but um yeah that, that makes a lot of sense yeah it's 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 about that and look i've sat out the non-competes i sat out a full year after i left Worldquant to go to exodus point so i know what it takes to essentially bring people over from firm to firm um and this is just a way for a lot of for these vendors to shortcut that process at um you know i think i would argue a cost effective way and a very quick way to get up to speed can, can we just talk about the the how do i put it maybe the cost of making a bad decision when onboarding vendors because you mentioned it there previously you know you don't want any company to make a mistake by investing in the the, the wrong wrong vendor when a vendor um signs a contract with a hedge fund and they sign up to think it's not as if they just give you some data and then if you want to change vendor you just change to someone else there are so many different aspects of data that means that one last like one company could call something a certain name one company could add an extra word or take out an extra word when describing the same thing and so those data sets look completely different in the system it is one of the most expensive not cost wise but time wise probably to, to actually change a vendor when you do that so that selection process must be absolutely it must be one of the hardest things for people to do which is why i can see the the, the sort of valuable nature to, to cp capital how hard is it to actually change a vendor for like within a hedge fund? Like if you have to basically take on a new data set from another vendor? It, it depends on how long you've been using them and how well integrated they are into your, your process, right? So there's the contract process, which is really, you know, those are generally annual agreements. If you really wanted to get out of them, you could probably negotiate some kind of exit fee or something like that, but that's generally not even in the contract. So it's less the legal piece that is sticky and more of the logistics and engineering piece that is sticky. So you have firm, you have people in your organization that are essentially downloading this data from an FTP site, and I'm keeping it super simple, um, parsing the data, loading it into a proprietary data warehouse or flat file system. You have those files are feeding, um, you know, Excel models, other proprietary software um, strategies. And if you, and those strategies can be hard coded to a column or to sales versus net sales or something like that. And those firms could be, those sales might be in thousands or millions or tens of millions, depending on how you've manipulated that data over time. And to pull that out is such a huge um, effort that once, that's why firms spend a long time deciding on a data product, the best firms, spend that extra two, three weeks or even months to decide, okay, this is, I'm essentially going to be married to this vendor for the foreseeable future. Unless the data materially changes, right? If there's some regulation that basically destroys the, the vendor's data set, which has happened in the past, um, you're gonna be partnering with this vendor for a while. So you want to be sure that the data is high quality. It meets your standards that they can support it well. And if you do need to rip it out, the cost of that is is way greater than, you know, if one vendor is charging you a hundred thousand and the next vendor is going to charge you seventy-five, that savings of twenty-five thousand dollars is peanuts compared to the amount of time it would take for you to to switch over. So yeah. it's really important to to make the right decisions, especially for the more basic data, because that is entrenched way more into your company. So tick data 
or fundamental data or estimates data, those are kind of building blocks that everything else is supported on. So to change that, it's like changing the foundation of a house without taking the house down. It's very difficult. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so what we have now is we have our vendor, they're onboarded, we have all this data. Now we could probably spend another 50 minute, 30, 40, 50 minute podcast talking about storage of data alone. So I'm not even gonna go into it because that is literally a different story that, that we talk about on, um, on another side. But we're storing the data, we have this data, you use a Wellcon as an example that has data for let's say 10 years and you have an Exodus point that has data in there, their system for, for three years. Typically, the way that I've seen things on my side is the more data, the better, because the more data, it means the more, um, uh, I guess, analytics you can pull from it, the more you can take from it. And no matter how historic the data may be, there will always be some sort of um, purpose for that data. How do firms who are starting up now catch up? Because I'd like to think that the firms that were taking and storing data tens of years ago are in a much better position now in terms of the amount of data they have available to them than firms now. Do these new firms have to just go and buy 10 times more data or is it more about the quality? I think there certainly is a first mover advantage when you're a, a world quant type of firm. You have data that's truly proprietary to you. So they've been collecting data for over a decade. Um, and those data sets, if you went to those same vendors, you can't even buy those some of those data sets anymore because these firms have been storing them in a point in time fashion, the smart ones. And the vendors, most of them, or many of them don't store it in the fashion that you'd actually want to consume it. So, you know, those firms definitely have an advantage there, but there are vendors who do store it properly. And step one is just is knowing which firms do that and knowing which firms um, you can onboard easiest that have the highest quality data. And then the, the reverse part of the first mover advantage is in my mind, you essentially have to try less. There's a lot more of data sets that are proven and I'm not saying proven in that everyone's using them or they're just you know dripping with alpha as people would say, um, but there's data sets that you can go to that are best in breed in each of these data categories. So at um, you know, a firm, instead of trialing 15 insider transaction data sets, you can settle on two or three, and you can look at the documentation really deeply and settle on one or two. And you can filter out that noise much quicker as a newer firm, because you don't have that legacy, um, you don't have a lot of the legacy technologies that some of the older firms have. And you can also kind of shortcut to more best in breed data, which is part of you know, to, to pitch my own book is bringing my experience along the way in teaching firms to go towards this higher quality data. So they spend, don't waste the time on the mistakes that other firms have made, not mistakes, but trials that were unsuccessful or things like that. And, and so correct me if I'm wrong, but we're almost suggesting that, you know, for smaller firms that are starting up, rather than just trying to catch up with the amount of data that these other firms have that are larger and been around for, for longer, walk before you can run and just get your foundation set up in the right way, build that house in the right way. And I guess for firms like a Wellcorn or, you know, without using them as examples every time, but a larger firm with more exposure to data, that's then when alternative data then comes in, right? Because you have hundred, let's say you have a thousand different data sets you have now, 
compared to a smaller fund that has 50 data sets, for them, they have more opportunity of getting more from that 51st data set than the larger firm has from getting that 1,001st piece of data. So is that why we then hear more about alternative data now, where data is becoming a lot more accessible, and so we need to find new and innovative ways of, of, of getting edge? Exactly. I mean, the, the, the data categories um, that exist now didn't exist five years ago. I mean, there's, there's categories of data that had their heyday within the last five years and essentially went away. So um, counting cars, for example, that was very um, niche data set. It got a lot of buzz, a lot of activity. Counting cars, the idea that more people are driving to Walmart, more people are buying things at Walmart, Walmart will have a better quarter. So first there was one vendor, then there were 10 vendors, and then now nobody really even markets that anymore. And that's all within the last five years. So, um, you know, firms who were around for that wave trialed all those data sets. Maybe they bought a couple, um, maybe they still use them, maybe not. And I, when I speak to a new firm, there's maybe I wouldn't even recommend that they look at that type of data anymore, right? So, or at least in the next couple of years. And can you, can you just briefly touch on the reason why in the last couple of years there has been this huge growth in demand for data? Yeah, I think, you know, beyond the whole cloud and compute is cheap. I think the, the, the sourcing side, the, like the lowest common denominator of data has been commoditized to a large extent. So, um, you know, four or five years ago, when you would go to a conference, I would see a competitor there and you really wouldn't even exchange business cards with them. There was no need to have a cocktail with your competitor. You didn't even want them seeing the vendors that you were speaking to, because if somebody respects the firm I'm at and I'm speaking to vendor XYZ, maybe they think that that vendor has quality data, then they call vendor XYZ. Um, that was kind of the cloak and dagger that it used to be. And fast forward to today, there's firms that, you know, these data aggregators put a hundred vendors in a room, in a big room. Back in the old day, it was a large conference room, hundreds of tables, hundreds of vendors, hundreds of hedge funds. And you can see who's meeting with who. And, um, you know, you, you do speak with your colleagues at the cocktail hour. And it's mainly, you never tell somebody um, which data sets you love. You always kind of cluster around which of the ones mm -hmm. that you would avoid. That's kind of like the, uh, if there's a code, any, any unspeaking code between data strategists, I would say that's kind of it. You would never say, no, I like that one. It's ah, maybe I would stay away from these guys. So it's kind of a friendly way to, for each other to save time. But, you know, that whole journey um, and also there's firms who just focus on sourcing data. So you can hire a data sourcer and all that person does is really just bring in new data sets to you. They don't really bring the strategy component, which data sets are best for your firm, which data sets should you onboard today versus three months from now, that's where I take over. But that's how I've seen the industry evolve over the last four or five, six years. It's, it's so incredible. And just to, to wrap up, because everything you've said so far, we, we've learned this journey of how you've gone through education, you, you've been outside of finance, you've worked at the likes of, of PepsiCo and you then got yourself into to finance, into Wellcorn, and in the space of you know quite a short amount of time, less than ten years, you've gone from learning about the industry to then learning some of the huge gaps in that industry from both the hedge fund and the vendor perspective. So then going to do it at a startup hedge fund, I call them a startup. You know, it's hard to when, like you say, you start off with eight billion as much as they weren't expecting it to. 
um, to now finding your own company. It sounds like from a technical perspective, from a business perspective, you really have just had the best possible opportunity to learn and to set yourself up to be successful at CP Capital. But the one thing I think maybe to wrap up on is, is maybe something away from data, which is actually just the entrepreneurial aspect of, of CP Capital, because we spoke about the, the, the sort of funny aspect of it, which is that CP Capital existed 10 years ago as a sort of fake company to get into a conference, but now it's actually real. And now that you've been doing it and you've been getting a lot of inward business and having to turn away business, how are you finding the whole entrepreneurial aspect of that? Is that something that has always been embedded into you? Have you had to pick that up as it goes? How's that all been? I don't think it was ever, um, you know, embedded into me. I never took an entrepreneurship course. I never read a book about being an entrepreneur, being a CEO, but um, I just kind of stumbled into it really. And it's truly, you know, I came into the hedge fund space because of the really, well, among other things, the eat what you kill aspect, right? When you're in the corporate finance role, you can work hard, whether you work 40 hours, 80 hours, 100 hours, you know, you, you get your three, 4% raise and you wait for your manager to retire. And that's how you move up in a corporate environment, generally speaking. And in the hedge fund world, what excited me was that it was more of an eat what you kill, as they say, right? The harder you work, the more you will earn, the more opportunity you will get. And there's no more pure form of that than having your own business. So if you, you know, if you don't work, if you take a week off, that's a week of missed opportunities. If you, the harder you work, at least in my case, the harder you work, the more hours you put in, the higher return you get. Um, so I've been, it's been a fantastic journey along the way. It's not something I imagined two years ago, um, but a year, a year and change into it, I'm not looking back. Amazing. Chris, this, this has been amazing. This has been awesome. I think the insight you've given on data, um, the, the humbleness you've given around, you know, learning things from scratch and then developing yourself and everything you've said from, like I say, explaining it in layman's terms to helping people that have been in the industry for years to people that don't know anything about it. It's been incredible. And I can't thank you enough for, for adding your insight for, for the listeners listening in, whether it's YouTube, uh, Spotify, anywhere else, you can find Chris on LinkedIn. I'll put all these details on the, on the release of this podcast. Um, if you are watching on link um, on YouTube, the picture behind Chris to wrap up is something we spoke about as we just jumped on the call. It is, um remind me it's like a graph of economic crisis yeah it's, it's a history of the percentage of the world that's been in economic crisis since 1810 <laughs> and it ends at 2010 so there's another decade or so that we'll need to tack on to it but um, we may need to change the I... dimensions of that picture to make it a little bit higher for how much of the world has been impacted for 2020 yeah maybe. i would say 100 percent should be the new <laughs> should be the new top of it <laughs> awesome well once again thank you so much i'm sure cp is going to have an awesome year this year we wish you all the best and um yeah thanks a lot for coming on thank you ollie thanks Cheers, everyone Chris. see you later